Ladies and gentlemen, this is the Salty Pastor Podcast, and I want to welcome you to a podcast designed to help you in two very specific ways. First, a qualitative understanding of the Bible. The more you listen, the longer you listen, the more you're going to know the Bible. Second, how these deep truths of the Bible, these biblical principles, are the key to navigating what is going on in your everyday life. My name is Jesse Mayer. I'll be your host, and we can't do the Salty Pastor podcast without our very own Salty Pastor, Dr. Douglas Peak. Greetings, everyone. It's so good to be with you in this new year. I'm very excited about uh, our time that we're going to have together throughout this year. I'm just, I think it's going to be great to really dig into the scriptures and help you have just a basic understanding of not only the Bible and how it's structured, but the primary themes that it really addresses. And so very excited about it and how that's going to help you navigate all the craziness in our world. Well, and it's a special week for a couple of reasons. One, we're back together Yes, here at our usual recording locations. <laughs> it's good to have you back. You're making a recovery from your, your uh, COVID I'm over COVID. Life. Yes, I'm done. I think I'm the country's really over COVID. Yeah, really. But you're very specifically <laughs> over the illness of COVID. Yes, yes, doing well. Thank and you. And we're also celebrating 25 years of yeah. your ministry here at Foothills Christian Church. Yeah, this Sunday we're going to have a big celebration. It's very exciting. 34 years uh, in May. In May of this year, I went into the full time ministry uh, 34 years ago. And 25 of those years have been right here in Boise, Idaho, when I came here to Foothills. And uh, I came in Jan. I started January 5th, 1996. Wow. Pretty impressive. Yeah. So that to be in one impressive. place. Well, we are throwing a very uh, big get-together celebration Sweet. after second service this Sunday. So if you guys are able to come, we'd really love to have you. There's mm-hmm. some uh, very special things planned, I've heard, through the grapevine. So Oh, good. And gonna aren't good. they going to live stream it, too, on Facebook yeah, or something? Yeah, we're so. going to live stream it. So if you don't feel comfortable joining us in person yeah. or if you're just unable to, you'll be yeah. able to kind of join in the festivities. If you're a Salty Pastor fan, we have Salty Pastor fans in uh, the Phoenix area. Uh, it's been growing down in San Diego, California. Mm. So uh, regardless of where you are, you're welcome to join in with us on Sunday afternoon for a 25-year celebration. Well, that is very exciting. Let's uh, get on to kind of what we're going to be studying this week. Uh, mm-hmm. Your son, Zach's actually going to be preaching this week, right? Yes, he'll be preaching on Sunday. All right. Galatians he's give, chapter he's giving three. giving you the week off so you can just enjoy <laughs> your celebration, right? Yes, yes. I'm sure that's the plan. <laughs> well, we are currently in the book of Galatians. We're in yep. our seven rules for life mm-hmm. um, series. And this book in or this book of Galatians is all about rules, how we mm-hmm. perceive rules, what the significance of rules are. And uh, one point Paul makes is that if we misjudge the point or purpose of rules, then we can get way off track. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we need to take the time to think through the most important rules of our lives. So, Pastor Doug, give us a recap of the first two chapters that we've been studying so far. Yeah, well, in chapter one, Paul launches off right off the bat saying, hey, you Galatians, you've been bewitched. You've kind of left the most important principle of all. And then he talks about... You were led astray by people giving you more rules. But the thing is, these rules, though they may be good ideas, are not pertinent to your salvation. And so in chapter one, he said, don't ever forget your purpose. And that is, is that your purpose is to know God. This is why you exist, your living soul. 
And once you know why you're here, it's easier to stick close to Jesus in faith. Second rule was don't let the world tell you who to be. Uh, Pastor Harv really preached so effectively on this about how the world cannot conform you to its model. Because if you try to do uh, uh, what the world wants and you try to discover who you are in Christ, that's a, that's a contradiction. Mm. You see, those are two rules that contradict each other. Third rule is find someone willing to tell the truth, someone who doesn't have an agenda in your life, uh, who, who, and not just any truth. You know, it's like, okay, this is the truth of how to make a really great grilled cheese sandwich. Oh, okay. <laughs> Thank you, Gordon Ramsay. But that truth is not going to change my life. What, I, what we mean by that and what Paul means is that find people who are going to tell you the ultimate truth about who you are, why you exist, and what the purpose of your life is really all about. And then today, uh, this rule he gets into is this, is that once you know why you're here and you've chosen not to be conformed to this world, you found someone to guide you into the ultimate truth, you have to understand that you want to live your life being justified by your own work. Right. You know, if you're a thoughtful person, if you're uh, an organized person, if you're a goal setting person, you like to achieve uh, you do to do this, you're going to have this natural penchant to say, wow, I'm being justified by my own work. Mm. And Paul calls that religion or the law. And he says, don't ever forget this rule. And that is you're justified by faith in Christ and Christ alone. So that's really what this is about. He makes a lot of technical arguments, so we'll go through them. You kind of read them, and I'll kind of comment on them. Okay. But people, I think, will start to really understand why chapter three is a little tough to understand, but the in conclusion, at the very last few verses of chapter three are powerful, powerful statements. But we have to get to them in order to understand their power. Absolutely. Well, let's get started. Um, I'm going to start in chapter three of Galatians, verse one. It says, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish after beginning by means of the spirit? Are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? Have you experienced so much in vain if it really was in vain? So again, I ask, does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law or by your believing what you heard? So also Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Now, see, what he does is he just, first of all, he kind of chastises him and says, you guys are being foolish because you're trying to believe two contradictory things. He said, look, you did not come to see the work of God in your life through the law. Some of you are already following the law and it was insufficient. And he said, so you come to Christ in faith and the Holy Spirit manifests itself amongst you. So why are you trying to go back to the law, which was insufficient? And then he does something really unique. He goes, oh, by the way, even the law that you're trying to go back to says you're justified by faith. So, so that's what he's doing there. And, and what he's doing is he's refuting 
the argument of the Judaizers. The Judaizers claim that it was the law given by Moses that made the promises of God come to fruition in your own life. And Paul states that, no, you saw firsthand it was through your faith when you came to believe. And guess what? Even the Abribic covenant and then the law of Moses points to the fact that you're justified by faith. And then he goes on to say this in verse 10, for all who rely on the works of the law end up being under a curse because it's written, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. So what he's saying here is that, look, the law says you're justified by faith because once you know the law, you realize you can't live up to it. I mean, it's impossible to follow. So that means everybody is cursed. And verse 11 says, clearly no one who relies on the law is justified before God because it says the righteous will live by faith. So what he's doing is he's saying, look, you guys are going back to the law, but even the Judaizers aren't telling you the truth about the law, right? Because even the law points to faith and righteousness coming through faith, not by keeping all of the rules. And he says, see, the law's Verse 12, the law is not based on faith. On the contrary, it says the person who does these things will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, curses everyone who is hung on a pole. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, so that by faith we receive the promise of the Holy Spirit. So what he's saying here is that he goes, Look, trying to justify yourself through religious activity, you know, following all the ceremonies, eating all the right foods, wearing the right clothes, uh, observing all the right, you know, you got to burn incense at this time. You got to say a prayer that way. You got to do this. You got to do this. You're trying to be super, super faithful. But what you realize is the law even gets broader than that. It's just how you have to do business. And this is how you have to treat people. And this is what you can say and what you can't say. I mean, it just goes on. There's, there's thousands of laws. And how do you, you can't even follow it all. And guess what? You break one, you're cursed. And he said, so even the law said, look, you're not ever going to be able to do this, but you're justified. You're made righteous through faith. So when Christ died on the tree, right, he took our curse mm. that we couldn't live up to and he took it. So th this is really important to understand what he's saying here is that Jesus not only says you're justified through faith in me, but what you also have to understand is I've removed the curse of constantly having to strive to prove to yourself that you're okay. I'm, I'm taking that curse away from you. And so that's a really powerful point that he's making, and this is how the Holy Spirit works and manifests itself in our life. And then in chapter five, he talks about the fruit of all this because we're being justified by faith, not trying to strive through the law. We will have love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, forbearance, all of this really, really great stuff in our life. The fruit that comes out of being justified through faith. Well, let's keep reading. Uh, verse 15 goes on to say, Brothers and sisters, let me take an example from everyday life. Just as no one can set aside or add to a human covenant that has been duly established, so it is in this case. The promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. Scripture does not say, and two seeds, meaning many people, but 
and to your seed, meaning one person who is Christ. What I mean is this, the law introduced 430 years later does not set aside the covenant previously established by God and thus do away with the promise. For if the inheritance depends on the law, then it no longer depends on the promise. But God in his grace gave it to Abraham through a promise. Now, I realize that most people here are not Jewish and they're not Orthodox Jews uh, and that that is not a belief system that people are really, really familiar with in America today. But to these people, it was a predominant worldview at the time. And what he's doing is he's making the exact same argument as he did in verses, you know, six through 14. But he's doing it personally. He's saying, OK, let's look at your everyday life. No, this is what happened. And he goes, look, you all know that once there's a covenant in the, is that the original covenant, if it's been duly established, always stays in effect. And he says, look, it was said to Abraham that you'll be justified by faith. Right. Mm -hmm. The Mosaic law doesn't show up for another 430 years. Remember Abraham and he had Isaac and then Isaac had Jacob and Esau. Remember, Jacob's name was changed to Israel. And then you had Joseph who went off to Egypt and they were there right. 400 years before they came back. And when they came back, that's when Moses recorded the law, the Mosaic law, the Ten Commandments and so forth. And so what's interesting there is he says that gap was 430 years. So does the Mosaic law nullify the covenant that God established with Abraham? And he says, no, it doesn't. Now this in everyday life, these guys knew about all this. They talked about it all the time it'd be kind of similar today by saying well that you know that you know that judge can't do it because it's unconstitutional you know people you know we know that we have a constitution it tells us what we can and can't do and so forth so we're more familiar with that than they they would be very familiar with this you know the right. the, the mosaic law and the abrimic covenant and so forth and he says what's really interesting about this is that the law, not only states were justified by faith, but the law um, also reinforces that the seed of Abraham would save us. And he makes this big deal between the plural and the singular. And the reason why is because the Judaizers were saying this, saying, look, the law that came from Moses is the seed of Abraham. So we're so when all of us follow the law, when all of us are faithful, then the blessings of God are going to manifest. And this is what it's really important to understand is that the the Jewish people were very closed. They were very segregated. They were very separated because they believed that God's promise flowed to them on the basis of all of them keeping the law. So if you didn't keep the law, that's why they had this whole group of religious lawyers that went around and talked about keeping the law, keeping the law, the Pharisees and the Sadducees made up the Sanhedrin. So it's really interesting in that they were very strict at trying to keep it hmm. uh, because they believed that the promise of God flowed if they kept it and everybody has to keep it. But what Paul says is, yeah, you got that wrong because he doesn't say seeds beating all of us. He says one seed. It's singular. So that means that from the line 
of Abraham would come the way in which we're justified by faith. So it's not faith in the law. It's faith in the seed. And the seed is Jesus Christ. Hmm. So uh, let's let's keep going then. Uh, verse 9 says, Why then was the law given at all? It was added because of transgressions until the seed to whom the promise referred had come. The law has given through angels entrusted to a mediator. A mediator, however, implies more than one party, but God is one. Is the law therefore opposed to the promise of God? Absolutely not. For if a law has been given that could impart life, then righteousness would certainly have come by the law. But scripture has locked up everything under the control of sin, so that was so that what was promised being given through faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Before the coming of this faith, we were held in custody under the law, locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed, so that the law was our guardian until Christ came that we might be justified by faith. Now that this faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. So the Judaizers were making a couple points, and this is how they, they were arguing with people, that you had to follow the law in order to follow Jesus. And one of the things they were saying is that, well, you can't say that the law is irrelevant because what then that means that God was wrong. And Paul refutes that in this section you just read. He says, no, it doesn't mean that God was wrong. It just means we were under a guardianship. All right. And number two, he says this, he goes, and by the way, you can't bring both of them together. You know, you can't say you got to follow the law and you're justified by faith because when Christ came, it was revealed that we were under a guardianship, but now we're justified through faith. So it's a natural progression. It's a natural step up. So, you know, it's like, uh, okay, if I'm going up the stairs of life and knowing God, I can't stay on one stair and keep going up. That doesn't work. It's not I, an escalator. It, yeah, I have to keep taking steps. And so the law was the first step, right? And now the next steps are Jesus Christ. So every step ensuing is a step of faith in Jesus Christ and Christ alone. Hmm. So as the chapter closes, we see some really great conclusions that Paul draws from his argument. So uh, listen to these last verses. Uh, so in Christ Jesus, you are all the children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female. For, all, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Yeah, what the world in which Paul lived was highly segregated. It was very segregated. It was very separated. Uh, it was based upon social status, and that was determined by what you wore. So the colors that you wore and the style of clothing that you wore separated people. Uh, there was a tremendous amount of slaves, and so... You would either through a tattoo or a marking or a piercing, you would be identified as a slave. Roman society was extremely hierarchical, mm. it's very hierarchical. It's very similar probably today to the military. Uh, there's a retired officer. He's a pilot. He's one of our elders. 
And he talked about how when he was serving in uh, the military, he said, you'd walk into a room with 100 officers in there. And he said, within five minutes, everybody knew exactly where they stood in the pecking order. <laughs> <laughs> you, you know, everybody who outranks you and you know everybody who's below your rank. And that's how the Romans lived. It was all about honors. It was all about that recognition of who I was and where I was at. That's why they took a census every five years, you see, so that that's how you moved up or down. So it's very hierarchical. It was very patriarchal. It was dominated by men. And so women had very little to almost no rights at all. It wasn't until later on where they started to gain more rights. But so, so Rome was extremely segregated socially, very hierarchical. The, the, the economy was separated with slavery and non-slaves. It was ethnically divided based on who was conquered by Rome. And then Judaism was an ethnic segregation as well and you had this group of people who were trying to keep the law pure so that the promises of god would come back and set them free from roman oppression right so you had a whole boatload of segregation going on and when things are segregated we look at that in a vacuum and we think you know well i wouldn't be that way well the bottom line is is that well that's what our society is today our society is becoming more segregated not less, less. um it used to be well i'm an american you know um uh, it's really interesting because my stepfather his his parents immigrated and he has their immigration and naturalization papers uh, for when they immigrated to the United States. He's now 91, just uh, an incredible man, and uh, respect him immensely. And one of the things that so many people did when they emigrated, it didn't matter what nation you came from, if you were Irish or you were French or you were German or whatever, a lot of people were told, we're not going to speak our language anymore, we're going to speak English. And, and, you know, a lot of people who immigrated here say the same thing. It says, well, our parents wanted to be Americans because because uh, American w basically meant it's not something based on your ethnicity. Right. It's based on an idea. It's a principle. And so that that shows you just a little bit of the reflection of what Paul was saying. And it was so radical and the biggest thing he did is he said this. He said, there is neither free man nor slave. And then he said, there is neither male or female. And, and so that those two things were were the lifeblood of the Roman Empire. That's what was, they founded a that's lot what of was their culture was founded around. on, yeah. You know, you knowing your place and all that. And he's saying, guess what? There's neither Jew nor Gentile, slave or free, male or female. We are all one in Christ Jesus. So what he's saying is that the one unifying power of all of this is Jesus Christ. And this is really important, I think, to understand, is that in in today's world, 
people have taken Christian values, you know, like it's wrong to steal, it's wrong to lie, it's wrong to cheat, it's wrong, you know, these types of things. Right. And then they've taken the virtues of Christianity. Well, we're supposed to love one another. Uh, we believe in justice and we believe in fairness and we believe in equality. And now it's become equity. And and so but what what's interesting is they want to take these concepts but they want to reject where they came from and what made them real. Mm. And you see, what Paul is saying is that, you know how we can say that we're all equal is because we all come to Jesus Christ. We all get to know God in the same way. Now, if you spend your time trying to justify yourself religiously or following some patterns of behavior, you're always going to judge people as being above you or below you. You're going to walk into the room of all those military officers and in five minutes you're going to know who you're better than and who you're not as good as. Well, and I find it interesting too because you talked about how in the Roman culture what you wore kind of yes. uh, set you apart and the military does the same thing. You have stars, you have medals, you have these things. But then Paul uses this a, a very specific phrase of you have clothed yourself in Christ. So yeah. you all are dressed the same. You are all dressed in Christ, which means there's no longer any distinguishment between higher or lower. You right. are all one. Exactly. Excellent insight. Excellent insight. Because this isn't, isn't an advocate for a Christian fashion. You know what I'm right. saying? That we all have to wear I mean, the same thing. We are thing. working on a Salty Pastor <laughs> merch line, but that's not what this is. <laughs> What he's he's saying is simply this, is that when you go down the path of religion, when you go down the path of trying to justify yourself based on your capacity to follow the law, you got a couple problems that you got to work through. And the first problem is, okay, well, whose law is it? And how do you know it's good, right? Because mm -hmm. it, it may not be good, right? Number two is that you it, it produces something, and that is it produces judgment. Right. So you're always, so it doesn't bring people together. It segregates people. And then finally, what it does is it creates shame and guilt in your own life, because no matter how much you achieve, you're under the curse of shame and guilt. You, you'll never live up to your own expectations for yourself, let alone everybody else's or society's. And so that creates anger. You know, it creates depression. It creates guilt. And, it, and we're ashamed and and then that creates dishonesty because when you're when you feel ashamed of something you tend not to talk about it you don't walk around and going hey everybody this is the big mistake i made let me tell you about it right you know, most people aren't that way so so what he's saying is that by leaving the religious approach to god or leaving the law to make you feel better about yourself into being justified in in letting the spirit manifest all this wonderful stuff in your life you close yourself with Christ and Christ alone. It's faith. And what that does is that brings unity to us. And now, you see, now, like, when I would go down to, uh, there was a long period of time, I'd go down to Honduras and do missions work down there. Love Honduras. <laughs> and so we go down there, we do a lot of work down there and working with people. And they spoke Spanish. I didn't speak Spanish very well, just enough to, to cause problems. But... Uh, but we were we would sit in church and we would worship together, you know, 
we would just sit and worship there and then they would ask me to preach and I'd preach and they'd translate it and and they were always you know thank you for blessing us with the word of the Lord you know and and what was so interesting is is down in Honduras whenever I would go and preach in, in the churches is that Hondurans are not known to be tall people nope I think the tallest Honduran I ever met was five four. That lines up with my experience. Your experience. Well. I was I was <laughs> taller than I think almost everybody we met. Yeah, and and I was down there for about. And I'm not overly tall. You're yeah. you're a tall man. So I'm not overly tall, and so, I was still dwarfing. Yeah. So whenever I would stand up, so the churches, <laughs> the ceilings were always really low. Yeah. And they would string these uh, these paper. Uh, like uh, you know you make those paper chains you know right. and hang them on Christmas trees and stuff they were similar to that they would snip them and they were long and they would have to take them down because you're running into because I was running into them so they'd take them down when I would the preach. giant is coming so it, they did they call they had a lot of words like that you know the giant from America you know is going to preach but what's so fascinating about it is that that all became irrelevant you know we ate together and we ate at the same table we ate the same food we we sang you know worship songs to god and we preached and and learned together in the church together as one and you know it's really fun like like my friend uh eve prophet you know from haiti um is is this is what was so interesting because in college when we knew each other we looked so different <laughs> Uh, you know, I was, I'm a tall, I was, I was big, you know, uh, 200 pounds, 210 pounds. Eve came and he wasn't really tall, but he probably weighed 110 pounds. I mean, he was oh, wow. the thinnest guy ever. We played soccer together and we spent time together. And I go, what's interesting now that we're both in our fifties is we look more and more like each other. <laughs> <laughs> His hair's all gray. Mine's all gray. His beard is all gray. <laughs> mine's all gray. It's just like, isn't that interesting? Those, those markers when you're young seem to just kind of fade away as you get older. And, but it's interesting, you know, and our partnership with him and a partnership of he helping the people of Haiti has just been strong for, for 25 to 30 years. And so uh, his ministry down there has planted over 40 different churches and 40 different uh, villages or cities. Mm. There is a gigantic uh, uh, orphanage down there. We started a sustainable farm down there that now feeds the 200 orphans. And whenever he starts a church in a village, they start a school to go along with it. So he educates over 5,000 children oh in Haiti, trying to teach them to read and write and get them nutrition. And so that's the future of Haiti right there. You know, Haiti is such a... Uh, a, a Man, it is such a struggling third world country. And one of the interesting things about it is that I think over time, that partnership. Well, how, how is it that he and I can work together? Uh, we're so different ethnically. You know, he speak, he was raised speaking French and Creole and there's language barriers. What brings all breaks all that down? Well, we're clothed with Christ, mm. you know, I, I think that the church in its purest form has always been able to break down ethnic barriers and bring things together. A lot of people don't realize, you know, Martin Luther King, who we just celebrated um, on Monday, a national holiday for him, is that 
you know, before he was a civil rights leader, he was a pastor. Mm. I mean, that's what he preached on. You know, some of my favorite messages that he spoke were not ones about uh, civil rights. He has one on service that he preached about Christians serve one another. And he just I mean, it's a phenomenal message. You know, look it up on YouTube and, and, and Google, it, listen to it. He just talks about it doesn't cost you anything to serve, you know, mm. and service is always. I mean, it's just phenomenal. His cadence his his theology. He was really strong, biblically centered. Uh, my point being is that when the church participated in segregation, when you look after the fall of the Roman Empire, you're looking about five, the, about the sixth century, all the way up to about the 14th century, probably the 13th, 14th century before the Renaissance happened, is that you saw a lot of segregation going on. And one of the things that is so f interesting about that period of time is that during that period of time, the scriptures were unavailable to the people. So they couldn't read the them. printing press. Yeah, it was before the printing press. And people didn't have copies of the Bible. And at that time in the Roman Catholic Church, they didn't want to do that. As a matter of fact, the guy who translated the Bible after the printing press and printed copies in the common language, the Roman Catholic Church arrested him and burned him at the stake for heresy. Wow. You may, a lot of people don't know that. <laughs> yeah. Just because they didn't want it out yeah, there? Yeah, they didn't want it out there. There's they didn't like want people to read the, about it. They, if, well, they wanted the control that the, we, we tell you what God wants. Mm -hmm. And But what's really interesting, what really fueled that and then fueled the expansion and then the, the Protestant Reformation was the fall of Constantinople. You see, when it fell uh, to the kind of the Muslims that were attacking it, it fell prior to it falling. There was all the Eastern Orthodox church. It had all of these documents and all of these ancient manuscripts, some of the earliest manuscripts of the new Testament. And what happened is they packed those things up and fled to the West. Right. Mm. So there's this massive migration, uh, after the fall or prior to the fall of Constantinople, and they brought all of these things, and that's where the first universities were started, the first libraries were started. People started reading the Bible again. And the Protestant Reformation, you may not be aware of this, but Martin Luther, Martin Luther King Jr., was named after Martin Luther, the father of the Protestant Reformation, in the 1500s or the 16th century. The reason why he started the Protestant Reformation is because he spent two years reading the Book of Romans. Hmm. So he got a manuscript of the Book of Romans, and he read it, and he realized wow, right now the Catholic Church at this time uh, has nothing to do with what the Bible talks about. And so he wrote up a thesis, 95 places where the Roman Catholic Church had departed from the New Testament scriptures, and he nailed them to a little church in Wittenberg, and it became known as the Wittenberg Door, and that's where the Protestant Reformation started. Mm. So what? why am I sharing this all with you? Because... When you read the Bible, when you understand the Bible and you understand what Paul is saying, it is a thing that has the power to bring all ethnicities together as one. It really does create, uh, it breaks down uh, patriarchal, hierarchical b barriers between people. It treats women with respect and dignity and honor. It values children like no one else. It makes men 
uh, infused with a deep sense of purpose and contribution that their role is critical in society. It, it gets rid of ethnic divisions and it, it brings us together as one. Why? Because we all come to God in the same way through faith in Jesus Christ. So that's why this argument that Paul makes in Galatians chapter three is so powerful and so important because at its core, it says, if you try to make yourself a good person and you try to live according to your own religious, whatever it is, you end up creating division, but if in segregation, but if you come to Christ in faith and are justified by faith, you become a part of world peace. Love it. Well, that is all the time we have today. We are so glad um, to be coming to you every week with these things. Um, I know Pastor Doug and I really enjoy doing this, and Mm -hmm. we're glad that you guys are along for the ride to uh, deepen your understanding and your faith with us. So thank you guys so much. We'll see you on Thursday for another episode. We're going to dive into how this relates to current events in our current culture. Mm -hmm. And uh, then obviously we'll wrap up on Sunday with Zach Peek. Yeah, he'll be preaching. He's going to bring it. All right. (laughs) God bless you, everyone, and have a really great week.